This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Do you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Fox creeping forward. He pulls up. 18-footer. Aaron Fox puts the Kings on top. Makes one, stakes twice. Gives the belly. 35-foot three for the win. Nibania, Bielitsa. It's way deserved this time, man. When we're done, we can go chop it up, eat, golf, whatever you want to do. For 40, 48 minutes, I ain't about them games. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez. We got Bryant West on here as is becoming the norm. What's going on, Bryant? Did you enjoy that game as much as I did, man? We're recording this right after the Philly one, and I am so hyped. I actually have not had more fun watching a Kings game this season than I did in this Philadelphia game, despite the ending. Yeah, I agree. Um, there have been a lot of fun games, especially in the last uh, two weeks. Um, but from that second and third quarter, I mean, that was as enjoyable as the Kings have been in a long, long time. A uh, little disappointing that that fourth quarter had to go the way it did because, uh, Lord, the 76ers just clamped down on the Kings in that second half. But, Boy, when those Kings were clicking in the second quarter and uh, when Marvin Bagley came in and was dominating defensively all of a sudden, that was that was a fantastic uh, run there. Yeah, so I, I just I feel like we have to spend a good little bit here talking about Marvin Bagley because I was I had just wrote that um he needed to play the five and I think I closed it with um pretty much the whole point was we don't know if Bagley's a four or a five. It's it doesn't make sense to only play him at the four. And Hassan Whiteside should not be the reason. Of all people, Hassan Whiteside, who's probably gone after this year and is not actually good at defense, let me tell you, um, he <laughs> should not be the reason that Bagley not does tonight. not get play at the five. No. And, oh, my God, yeah, against Joel Embiid. I actually, like, tweeted it, and I think people were excited that he was going against Joel Embiid. I actually was like, you know, this is probably the one matchup where I didn't really want to see him at the five. Um, But, yeah, I guess it's a better option than Whiteside. Um, I'm just so happy that he's got those minutes. And I think that, um, you know, it was kind of a classic lethargic game from Embiid Mm -hmm. that you saw him get a lot of critique for last year. And I think didn't really happen that much this season and is part of been, been the reason partially that he's been a MVP candidate. And uh, I have, uh, 
played with sports betting a little bit recently for the first time and looked at Embiid at 30 and a half points this game. I was like, this is the easiest thing in the world. Are you kidding me? Um, threw five bucks on it, and I think he ended up with like 27. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I was – No and, winning for you tonight. Yeah, I guess not. I guess not. Um, but I, I think the main thing for me with Bagley, and you've seen him do this before. I think you saw him do it a little get, a bit against Julius Randle. You hear Doug Christie talking, you know, you have to do a lot of your work with Embiid before the catch. And mm-hmm. I think that Bagley, um, with the length that he has and the quickness that he has, did a really good job of fronting Embiid and making him, you know, never catch it with a, with a foot in the paint. Um, and at the end, you know, you saw that, um, you know, the, I, I think the entry passes were a little bit better and the Bagley had a tough time recovering. But the fronting that he was able to do, I, I think, was probably the most impressive part of the defense for me. Yeah, and I definitely think that the Kings' help defense really helped him out tonight because a lot of the most impressive Bagley defensive plays also came when Harrison Barnes rotated over a couple of times to help. Um, but that's exactly what Marvin Bagley's going to need to do against the most dominant center in the league. Um, you know, we've talked all year about Marvin Bagley's best trait on defense has been his effort level, which has just been nonstop. Um, but tonight I think he took another step. I, I have always uh, said since he came into the league that one thing I really worried about Marvin Bagley was that he wasn't the most physical player on either end of the court. He didn't really play through contact a lot. And he definitely did that tonight. Like Joel Embiid threw everything he could at Bagley and Bagley just took every punch. Um, it really would have been a storybook ending if Bagley had been able to stay in the game late into the fourth yeah. um, but when the Sixers kind of really locked in on both ends of the court and their defense really started showing up uh, I think Luke Walton made the right decision to go back to um, Rashawn Holmes and you know it, a lot of people the easy storyline would be to be like oh Marvin Bagley couldn't be in there in the in the crunch time but I think the Kings made the right move there uh, kudos to Luke Walton for both realizing that Hassan Whiteside was just offering nothing on Embiid, um, letting Marvin Bagley get serious run, proving that he really should play uh, a decent number of minutes in a game at center, just keep experimenting with those lineup, and knowing that he still had to go to his crunch time lineup. Um, I mean, Marvin Bagley, this was the most impressed I've been with Marvin Bagley since his rookie year, so... Um, all the props to him and to Luke Walton for sticking with that lineup. Yeah, 29 minutes. Like, you know, for all the moments we've been like, man, Bagley's not playing in the second half. I'm checking here. I feel like this could be the highest minute total of the year. No, so it's not. It's, uh, I don't know exactly how many seconds, but 29 uh, ties him for about the fourth most minutes. Um, yeah, um, of the season. And, yeah, a lot of it came um, because, like you said, Whiteside obviously didn't really stand a chance against Embiid, a guy that, you know, doesn't do all his work with the back with his back to the basket. Um, and then um, Holmes got in foul trouble, which I think was very predictable in this one. Um, mm-hmm. And while some of them, I guess, were a little bit questionable, questionable I think the, the broadcast has been trying to get more respect for, for some guys like Holmes and Fox recently. Um, I, I thought that some of them were maybe um, the one that Holmes swiped at Embiid. I think he kind of swiped up and maybe barely ticked him. Um, I still think that's just probably like not a smart move by Holmes um, to to really be going for that when you're clearly the um, 
you know, ideal defender on the other team's most important player. Um, but yeah, I mean, Holmes getting about in foul trouble is really what led to Bagley getting all these minutes at the five. You know, now that we've gotten all the great things out of the way, I do want to give the the 76ers a lot of credit because um, Kings just got everything they wanted in that second quarter. And I don't know that I've seen an offensive barrage from Sacramento quite like that six-minute stretch to end the second half, the first half where Fox and Halley and Buddy were all just on fire. Um, but, you know, 76ers are a – contender for a reason their defense really locked down uh in the fourth quarter and honestly i don't know if anybody has played better defense against the aaron fox than uh, matisse Thibel did in the last four minutes of that game i mean it was incredible um and you know we just gave bagley a lot of credit i do want to say that uh the the low light of the night for me was that um, Fox called him over with, I think it was like four minutes to go in the game. He wanted him to set a screen to get Thibel off him. And Bagley just set the weakest screen and Thibel just bounced right off him and blocked the hell out of hey, hey, Fox's hey, hey. shot. There's no Bagley slander tonight, okay? We, we do it enough. We do it enough. Not tonight. Not tonight. <laughs> yeah, we're not Tim. No, yeah. I, I am very critical of Bagley, but I just cannot help myself. I actually have never yelled Marvin Bagley's name in my TV in a positive way more than I did tonight. <laughs> I was actually so hyped watching this game, and I, I just yeah. I didn't understand. Um, yeah, but you're right. Thibel did a great job on Fox. Um, and part of what got me really hyped was the second quarter um, that, that you pointed out. Um, I was like, man, Kawhi Leonard isn't be able to check Fox in the closing minutes of the last game um, in L.A. I believe it was in L.A. Um, and then in this one, you know, Simmons is on him from the jump and can't stay in front of him. Um, I was like, okay, well, is, is De'Aaron Fox just actually unguardable right now? Because I don't know what's going on. Um, his patience is ridiculous. He's pulling all these threes. Um, all the things that we've pointed out plenty of times, him also th- shooting it 30 times is insane. Um, I, I didn't realize he put up that many Fox attempts. Fox shot 30 times? Fox Holy had cow. 30 attempts, apparently. I'm just looking at that right here. Um, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's a, probably a career high. We can... Uh, do a quick verification of that right here. Yeah. Um, it just seems like it. 33, Man. actually, at one point last year. Um, that is, that's pretty impressive considering that, I mean, 76ers just clamped down on him uh, in that last half of the fourth. So, um, I mean, he was great all night long until Matisse Thibel clamped him down so yeah for for anybody listening to the podcast we're doing a live stream on periscope right after the game um follow the king's pulse twitter at king's underscore pulse to kind of stay on top of those ones i'm going to try to do those more often and uh, there's a philly fan in the chat that says uh bagley was the best player i saw defend and be this season oh my gosh oh, oh i'm not gonna comment on it but i'm just gonna leave it there and i think that's absolutely an amazing thing to hear Oh my goodness! Uh, I'm actually so I'm so excited this game. Like my analysis went out the window at one point because I was just too excited. Um, you know, I think part of the imagine what analysis we could offer if they had won this game. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! So so uh, you know, it's of, weird. This has been an excellent nine game stretch. All meaningful games. All good teams. 
this game was different. This game, yeah. more than any of the other ones, was like, oh, please win this. Well, this was a healthy, but, legitimate team. Yeah. Um, like most so, of the other ones, you could put some sort of asterisk. And there was credit due to the Kings, but yeah. you could put an asterisk on pretty much every other game, to be honest. Um, whether but by be, that logic, by that logic, we could have just said that, you know, this would have been the opportunity for the Kangs to show themselves as true. the pretenders that, you know, you know, I tweeted the other day, I'm, I'm still Charlie Brown. I'm still expecting Lucy to pull this football out from under me. They were great tonight. Even in this loss, the Kings were great for most of the game. Um, there were a lot of positives, some negatives. This is still a, a, a retooling team figuring out who the heck they are. Uh, still only six men deep. I mean, um, Corey Joseph still played way too many minutes tonight. Thirteen, yeah, yeah. Thirteen, that's still way too many. Yeah, but I think um part of part of Bagley playing at the five a lot, you knew you need um needed Barnes at the four, and you were kind of going to go with some smaller lineups, and that led to Glenn Robinson getting a lot of minutes tonight. Um, when he had kind of get phased, not fully phased out of the rotation, um, but he was kind of getting like five seven minutes maybe on every other night sort of basis. Um, and there was seventeen tonight, and I think that was a product of. You know, Bagley, who before was uh, spending all of his time at the four over the last stretch of games. Um, So I think it kind of led to a little bit more Robinson minutes. Um, But, yes, I mean, to to the point of this being, like, the game that really, like, legitimizes this team for me, um, I I was still remaining skeptical, to be honest, throughout this stretch. Um, They still could very much, you know, come back down to earth. But, like, I think – that at this point, like, we can say the offense is so legit with this team. Um, De'Aaron Fox, we've seen, is able to, if not at least create for himself, um, collapse defenses and swing it to players in primarily Barnes and Halliburton that are able to take advantage, um, capitalize on advantageous situations. Um, And, yeah, I mean, you did this against a top-five defense in the league that was completely healthy. Um, I, I think that the offense of the Sacramento team's Kings team is ridiculous. I went into this uh, three-game stretch, Denver, Clippers, Philadelphia. Um, I know I had messaged you. I'd probably said it to a couple other people quietly um, because I didn't want to get too much ridicule that uh, I think this is going to kind of bring everybody back down to earth. But, man, it has hyped me up. I'm in the clouds. Um, they're yeah. playing ridiculous. And I really think, you know, the defense is still has plenty of work to be done. Um, as much as I loved Marvin at the five, there were plenty of flaws with his defense tonight, um, and he's far from the only one out there. Um, like Bat- Buddy, you know, same sort of thing as Marvin, absolutely phenomenal effort um, and-, and willingness, you know, put your body on the line and everything, but sometimes just a little bit uh, maybe too aggressive or in the wrong spot or things like that. So the defense still has plenty of work, but the- this offense is going to carry them to wins against good teams, and that's what we've seen. Yeah. You know, one reason that I truly am beginning to believe in this team is that, you know, this isn't the first time a Kings team made a solid run that was kind of unexpected. Um, But I think one thing that was consistent across those teams was that they weren't fighting with this effort and this consistency on a night-to-night basis. I mean, the Kings are just bringing it on both ends of the court. Like you said, they're still learning how to play defense. Um, and they're still trying to figure out what they have offensively when 
a real good defensive team like Philadelphia comes in and crashes it late in the second. But the one thing I don't doubt about this team anymore is effort on both ends of the court. Um, this team is really gelled. This team's really believing in themselves. Um, and honestly, if I had to predict that the rug's going to pull out from under us, it's just because it's a six-man rotation of good players. I mean, Glenn Robinson the third played minutes tonight, and he's fine, but I wouldn't call him a great player. Um, it was good to see Kyle Guy get some fourth quarter minutes, but, you know, we still don't know what he is. The Kings have six rotation players in my mind. One of those guys goes down, we're going to have a totally different conversation. But being worried about injuries is totally different than being worried about this team giving consistent effort. Um, and honestly, that's my favorite thing from this team And over this eight-game stretch. They give a fuck. Yeah, they've been extremely locked in, and I think this was a big part of the defensive issues that they had through that historically bad stretch. Um, there was a lot of, you know, missed rotations and things like this, but, like, we were criticizing Fox and Barnes for their defense. Fox was getting a lot of crap for being upright um, and, and just not locked in. And um, I think I've said it a few times, you know, there were many games. I think the key, Kings would go up 15, 10 points in the first quarter. And every single person watching, and, and I think including all the players on the floor, knew that lead was going to go away. And once it did, um, everybody was hanging their heads and not locked in. Um, and, you know, Fox was on the low post, which, by the way, was absolutely amazing. Anybody that hasn't listened to that absolutely needs to. Um, speaks a bunch to Fox's character. He just seems like a phenomenal person. Love him mm-hmm. as a leader of this team. Um, but he really cited the the two-game postponement back-to-back um, that they were supposed to travel to Memphis to play as they got two practices in. And, um, you know, practices are extremely rare in this um, in the current landscape of the NBA. And he said that really helped um, a, a lot of guys be able to key in on, on making the right rotations mm-hmm. and um, just, just kind of getting a feel for everybody. Um, and yeah, so apparently, you know, those, those practices were kind of a turning point And I mean, that matches up with, with the play that we've seen so far. Yeah. Anybody who has to listen to that De'Aaron Fox interview, absolutely go do it. Um, but you know, I can't honestly think of a practice that's been more impactful on the Kings in the last decade. So, um, those Memphis um, games were, it's, it's, sick to say this in the current climate but uh it was a godsend for the kings yeah yeah um and you know to to be a little bit critical of, of the game because um it, it was an amazing you know we said second and third quarter and the third quarter was really holy shit about bagley's playing at the five i don't know what to do with my hands right now um and the second quarter was fox going crazy you know 39 points not for fox but as a team in that second quarter um, and then only 20 in the set, in the third quarter and 20 in the fourth. Um, yeah, so, you know, the offense obviously did slow down a little bit. And um, personally, I kind of thought that especially towards the end of the game, um, Buddy was kind of back to doing a little too much, mm-hmm. which we I hadn't agree. really seen that much this year. I think that was one of the main positives I felt like with Buddy was he wasn't trying to do too much and, like, make offense happen for himself. Um, and that definitely happened at the end of this one. Like, I, I think that uh, I probably wasn't the only one hyped. Um, the players were probably a little hyped up, too. And I think that Buddy Floater specifically really stands out to okay. me. I think there were about two minutes left, and I was like, oh, I don't know about that one. I agree. Um, you know, this is still a young team, and they've had a lot of crunch time games lately that have really been in – I mean, their offensive game plan has been get the ball to DR and Fox and get the heck out of the way. Um, so tonight when that wasn't working, 
uh, it was clear that Buddy was trying to do too much, um, which was a shame because, uh, you know, you and I talked about it on Twitter a little bit before this. He'd been pretty impressive in terms of uh, continuing his hot playmaking streak um, leading in up to the fourth quarter of this game. So, um, you know, I, I, I hate to say this, but this fourth quarter really is going to be an opportunity for Luke Walton to take his team and watch the tape. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is, which is another great podcast, by the way. Um, watching the tape with Sanjesh and Tim, definitely check out I, their podcast. I guarantee you that Tim is not quite so optimistic about uh, Marvin Bagley as you and I are tonight. <laughs> well, usually usually I am not, I'll at least say, um, but I decided to, to take that route tonight because it's it's rare for this to happen, I feel like. Um, and all I've been asking for is to play him at the five, and that happened, so I feel like I cannot complain uh, tonight. Um, yes, I love it. I love it. Um, I, I don't know what other notes um, there is to take from this one. Um, I do think that the last two games, Corey Joseph has played less. You know, the entire Clippers game, he didn't play. I mean, the Clippers' entire third quarter, he didn't play, um, which I think is progress. Um, that was also – there, there's been interesting rotations of, like, many guys playing entire quarters. Um, I, I think Fox and Barnes played the entire first quarter of this one. They played both of those guys played the entire third quarter in the Clippers game, um, and that's interesting. I think Halliburton played the entire second quarter tonight. Yeah, which is interesting. Um, I, I I wish that you know that that question would get thrown towards the players of you know how does that like do you feel good about that being in a rhythm? Or are you kind of tired towards the end of it? Because I, I'd assume it's kind of player to player, and obviously with this short rotation and you know a lot of. Um, young guys or the, even the guys that aren't quite young necessarily um, are, you know, track stars in their own right. I think it's a team full of guys in great physical shape um, and they don't seem like, you know, they're making mistakes because they're gassed at the end of games or anything. But it's interesting that I, I think Walton is definitely doing long stretches that, that guys are out there. Yeah, it really is interesting how he's been managing to do that while also he's definitely expanded the rotation lately. Um I mean, Doug Christie talked about it on uh, on the broadcast. They've really gone to a 10-man rotation in the last couple of games. So it'll be interesting to see if that continues. Um, schedule gets a little easier uh, this week. They got Orlando on Friday, uh, Memphis on Sunday. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what Kings team shows up and how many deep Walton goes. Yeah, Brooklyn on Monday, which apparently, you know, the whole world is against Brooklyn. I don't know if you saw this Kyrie Irving <laughs> quote. And I, I did. Um, yeah, I don't know. So, but yes, these these next two Orlando and Memphis games, two teams that really have struggling offenses, um, I, I think are exactly the types of teams that um, Sacramento should fare well against in, in the current uh, um, role that they have going right now. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm feeling really good about uh, the direction of this team, but uh you know, a guy that, that has not contributed to that um, is Nemanja Bialica. And, you know, his his situation has been really interesting to monitor um, with, you know, reports of a personal issue or um, personal reasons, I, I think, was, was the wording of him not being out there. And then a various reporting comes out and says that there's not actually any personal reasons. Um, so it, it's been it's been conflicting reports there. But Definitely what we know is that Nemanja Bielica is not in the rotation and on the trade block. 
and you know an expiring seven million dollar deal is for a player that I think is really well rounded on the offensive end of the floor um, has extreme flaws on defense. So to me, the economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. When I'm looking at a team that would be interested in Bielitsa, my criteria, and tell me what I'm missing here, is, well, first of all, what I'm taking back needs to be an expiring contract for the matching salary. I'm not, I yes. don't want to take back money that is going into next year, year after, or anything like that for Bielitsa. Completely agree. Okay, but the t- in the team that's taking him in, I feel like teams that will be interested are obviously need spacing, but I think even more importantly, like they need to be a good defensive team because I, I don't think like the same situation you saw with Sacramento, like you can't roll out one, any you can't roll out Buddy and Bielitsa. You can't roll out Bielitsa and Bagley. Like, you can't roll out two bad defenders, um, as I say. I'm not going to slander Bagley. Um, <laughs> so I think it needs to be, obviously, a team that needs some spacing, um, which mm-hmm. most teams in the league can use shooting, to be real. So I think it's it's primarily, like, it has to be a good defensive team. And yep. um, I, I think Philadelphia is a prime example. Philadelphia makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, they've got the defensive infrastructure. Uh, speaking of, Dwight Howard looked great tonight. Oh, yeah. He was like Dude. defense player of the year for a five-minute stretch there. Big props to him for, I mean, really, really turning his career around uh, last year with the Lakers. He was great tonight. Um, but, I mean, Dwight Howard and Nemanja Belica coming off the bench for Phillies, a really solid kind of uh, two-way kind of lineup there. Um, so I completely agree with you. It has to be a very solid uh, defensive team. Um, and, you know, Philly makes a lot of sense. Uh, Mike Scott's kind of an expiring contract. Uh, are they looking to trade Isaiah Joe? That might make a lot of sense for Sacramento. Um, but there are a couple other teams in the East that I really feel have the defensive infrastructure and the need for another spacer to really handle the Manu Belitsa. Um, you know, I'll, Toronto I'll say on the uh, on the Philly one real quick because I think this is my most interesting, or I, I think this is the best fit for Bielitsa for me that I could mm-hmm. find. Um, I agree, and I, I think that you know I would take just Mike Scott, which is matching salary um, close enough. I think he's five million something, um, and a second rounder. And honestly, that's fine. It's something. I think you need to add some contract because it's like five to seven. I think you needed. When I did the trade machine, it needed Isaiah Joe with Mike Scott to make that deal. Got it. So maybe I missed this. Okay. Yeah, something like Isaiah Joe, though. I mean, that's a second rounder that was just already yeah. picked. So it's the same type I of know, thing. I know Daryl Morey is a big fan of Isaiah Joe, so it might be a pie-in-the-sky dream on my part. But, um, you know, honestly, that's the kind of deal that I would look for for Sacramento. Some upside and no big money coming back. Yeah. Yeah, on on my trade machine it does work, but I, I hmm. don't uh yeah, there is Maybe a I'm wrong, 2.1 million dollar difference, so it is a little questionable. 
Um, but yes, one of those two. Like I think that if your if your primary return, you know, if if some deal is a expiring contract that's matching salary and a second rounder, honestly, any second rounder, that's fine. Because more likely yeah. than not, like I think there's a good chance you might even just end up cutting Bielitsa because he's yeah, just well, not like there's so limited expiring contracts that match this of teams that are actually interested in my mind. If they go through the trade deadline and he's still on the team, I got to imagine that they do just because I think you said it on the last podcast with Rich. Um, and it was great to hear Rich's voice, by the way, he's been missed in the Kings, uh, Kings sphere. Um, I, you, you talked about how this absence for Belita is so specific that it it speaks to like why wouldn't a trade have already been made if it was some easy cut and dry deal? There has to be something lined up, something that's got to wait for um, the the deadline for contracts signed in the off season to come by. So I really wouldn't be surprised if when that deadline comes, it's clear that the Kings have already had this deal in their back pocket for a while. Um, but if he's still on this team after the uh, trade deadline, I wouldn't be surprised if they just let it cut him and, and let him go find some other opportunity because clearly he's not in Luke Walton's rotation and given the Kings' lack of defenders off the bench, I'm not sure that he should. Yeah, I didn't realize we passed the date that um you know free agents from this offseason could be traded as oh. of February 6th. Oh, I'm dumb. I thought it was the 16th. I'm, oh, I'm, never I'm mind. seeing the sixth year. Yeah, no, I actually, oh. I, I didn't think that we had passed it yet. Um, yeah, so the sixth, so apparently that, that window is, is kind of open here. Um, and you, you have a couple other smaller deals that I think you kind of laid out as well. Yeah, I think, uh, there are a couple other teams in the East where it would make some amount of sense. Um, I don't think your Boston Celtics could handle another, uh, mediocre defender. Um, but Toronto sure could. Um, Patrick McCaw is an expiring that makes a lot of sense. And who knows if they give up uh, Malachi Flynn, but um, that's another pie-in-the-sky deal there. Um, all for I it. I saw a – yeah, all for it. That's the exact kind of deal that would just be absolutely perfect, um, but probably too good to be true. Um, when I was digging around for trade ideas, I saw block, a buck blogger uh, had the idea to come calling for another Sacramento Serbian sharpshooter after their last attempt failed. Um, You know, Milwaukee doesn't really have any interesting youngsters that they seem likely to trade. No way they send Dante DiVincenzo um, for Bailey. But what this team would um, be. Oh God. Oh, imagine Dante getting the Corey Joseph minutes. Oh, Oh yes, please. An actual good defender. Oh yeah. That would be great. Um, but this box blogger had up uh, DJ Wilson and, uh, and Thanos uh, Antetokounmpo, um, which is kind of surprising. I didn't know that they were allowed to trade Giannis's brother. Um, <laughs> and, a, and a second. Um, I mean, you know, that gets a second. So it's not really just a salary dump. But, uh, you know, if if Monchi had any real interest in DJ Wilson beyond just an expiring contract, uh, that would make some sense, although I looked at DJ Wilson's stats and they were not good this year. <laughs> so, yeah. DJ uh, Wilson's but, you know, interesting though. Like it's a guy that you can try, you know, and it's yeah. it's better than Bielitsa. Like there's maybe something with with DJ Wilson, and there's nothing with Bielitsa. You know, like yeah, it's I still agree. a trade that I would like, 
Um, I get that the return's not great. I looked at Minnesota um, and, and was like, you know, which doesn't fit the good defense. But I was like, I you was know, are they say. just desperate for spacing because, you know, they just do not have a four on that roster? Um, and, yeah, I was like, you know, Ed Davis and a second rounder. Um, it's yeah. expiring. And I, I reached out to Dane Moore, who I've had on here before, Minnesota cover, and his quote was, um, I don't think that they're buyers and probably they could get a second themselves for Ed Davis was in his, was in his mind, um, which makes sense. makes sense. You know, they they have that uh, top three protected pick that I'm sure they are just praying daily that they hold on to um, that that's uh, in Golden State's possession if it's not top three. Um, but, yeah, I mean, kind of do, going through this exercise, I realized that, you know, unless to me, unless like kind of this Philly deal makes sense, I think that it's more likely um, if the Elites moved, it's involved in a package as a throw-in with, you know, maybe a Buddy or, or um, Barnes move or Corey Joseph. If if a team yeah. is interested, please. Reach out. Yeah, please. Sacramento Let really us needs- know. Yes. <laughs> Sacramento does need some uh, bench help, but, uh, you know, there's got to be some veteran team out there that can – Use a floor spacing four, and uh, if if Belitz is surrounded by the right defensive infrastructure, I think he could really help a team off the bench. So, yeah, um, but yeah, I, I think it was just uh, kind of a good exercise since Belitz. Uh, I think you know, you're, it wouldn't surprise me. Apparently, that deadline is passed, on which we can act like I, I act like I already knew that, um, <laughs> and that's totally why I decided to talk about this today. Um, but you know, we, you're going to see his name coming up here, obviously, as you kind of already have, um, he's the clear trade candidate. Um, and you know, maybe some of the quieter ones in, in Buddy and Barnes. Um, yeah, I did get a message on Twitter from someone asking, uh, why does everyone want to trade Barnes? And, uh, I do feel like we did kind of answer this on maybe probably the last two episodes. I, I kind of wrote an article about it too, um, and yeah, maybe saying everyone wants to trade Barnes probably isn't true because uh, you know I got a lot of crap for it. Let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I guess just your opinion, like, is what Barnes is doing sustainable? Do you feel like there's anything new? Like, I get asked, like, what is different about Barnes this year? I don't really know. Like, I kind of feel like it's just a little bit of a bigger role with Bogey not there. Um, but I don't feel like it's yes that different. And- Yes and no. Honestly, I feel like he's fallen into a really ideal role for his skill set. Um, honestly, I think everything he's doing is sustainable. Maybe he doesn't shoot 40% from three for the rest of his career, but we're seeing a player hit his prime in a good situation for his skill set. Um, you know, I agree with a lot of what you guys said on the last podcast. He's a good player to have on the roster right now. Um, and if Monty McNair decides that there's not a deal out there that's worth disrupting this current roster, Barnes is a super easy player to root for. Um, and, you know, I do think that the concept of always trading for players on Fox's timeline is a crutch that we fall onto easily when discussing roster construction because every team needs a Harrison Barnes. But when Fox is in his prime, say when he's 26 or 27, Barnes is going to be 32. Um, so is Barnes on the Kings when they reach that contender status? Does he stay on the Kings for the entirety of the Aaron Fox's contract? 
We don't know. There's an argument for it, but it's fair to point out that his value on the trade market will never be will will almost likely never be higher than it is right now, a year when he's having exceptional success. And like we've kind of touched on, there's a lot of there's a lack of sellers in this market. So I'm not hoping that McNair trades Barnes for just a pick. Uh, I think he's proven that he's worth more than that right now. But if Monty McNair trades Barnes for a young talent and a pick, I think there's a real case to be made that that's a smart move for a team that's still developing. Because, um, you know, uh, as much as we want to buy in on this team's chances at a playoff berth this year, they're still a developing team. And I imagine that many of the players that are on the Kings right now, including Harrison Barnes, probably won't be here when this team is really actually ready to challenge for a playoff series. Um, it, it, this is a lot more complex conversation than I think it was uh, a month ago. Um, and right. I don't envy I don't envy Monty McNair's um, job here balancing all of this, but uh, I'm not going to trade Harrison Barnes for a first-round pick like Rich said. Um, I'm not trading Harrison Barnes uh, for the deal that you proposed. <laughs> Which, uh, it was one of the deals I yeah. proposed. Excuse you. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think I've said that Aaron Neesmith and and the first would be as low as I'd go. Um, but yeah, you know, it, this is a complex thing. And if there's fans out there like our own Kevin Fippen, he is as vociferous as any Kings fan out there. Why would you trade Barnes? Well, you know, there's plenty of logic behind trading Barnes. There's plenty of logic for not trading Barnes. He's a really good player, and he's playing great right now. Um, yeah. So it's complex. Right. I'm not upset either way, and I, I don't want to spend too much on it. I definitely wanted to get your thoughts, um, but I feel like we've kind of touched on this a lot, and I'm trying to stay on a more positive note uh, after after. Harrison Barnes is really good. That's he, he really is, um, and I'm not mad either way. You know, the last thing I'll say on it is, like, I think this Boston situation is so unique with the TPE. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, a big plus is you're not taking back any salary. Um, and that makes a very big deal for um, a very big difference for the homes upcoming situation, um, contract situation, which I, I think is really important. Um, yeah, so I, I think that the Boston situation is very unique. And there's not many, Keith Smith tweeted this, there's there's not many sellers this year. Yeah. Um, and really I think isn't. that, you know, that Barnes is – I'll have to go through the potential available players, but like there's a really good chance Barnes is the best wing on the market. And it's funny that before I think his contract was looked at as a negative um, and and I kind of fought back on that a little bit. I was like, you know, maybe a little bit, but it's really not that far off for the player that Barnes is. And I think now like there's actually a positive aspect to it where it's like, hey, you're trading for three years of this guy throughout his prime. It's declining. It's a contract that's declining. Three years, sixty million is what's left, and you're, I, Barnes is a twenty million dollar player. His yeah. position is very valuable. Um, he does; he's an extremely switchable defender. I think he fits perfect in Boston, and that's why I just keep talking about that situation. But, anyways, enough of that. Um, and you know, part of the reason that I guess I'm interested in draft picks. Um, you know, you're, yeah. you're you're the draft guy, obviously, and I got very into it last off season uh, during the hiatus and. We get to really binge, you know, draft content in multiple ways um, in this upcoming uh, week. Plus, the the G League bubble starts tomorrow, and the Ignite team plays at 8 a.m. Pacific time. By the way, what is this, dude? What is this? I have no 
I know for a fact that the game was originally scheduled at 11 p.m. at 11 a.m. Pacific you time. You might have been looking I, at Eastern. I went back and looked. So it was either <laughs> incorrectly listed at specific times or that thing was just wrong along. Um, but they're playing it like, like the Santa Cruz Warriors are interesting. Um, Nico Mannion's going to be on that team. Uh, the Warriors G League team has some players. So if you want to get up tomorrow at 8 a.m. and check out our first I'll real full televised I will game, <laughs> Jalen Green and uh, Jonathan Kuminga, that's going to be fascinating. Um, and uh, our old buddy, King's former trainer, Pete Youngman, really working with that team. I know he's uh, excited for a lot of the players he's getting to work with. So that's just an extra wrinkle to uh, watch with this G League Unite team. And uh, I am totally ready to be completely and utterly sold on Jonathan Kuminga because he is the exact kind of player that you and I fall for every year. Did you see the dunk? Did you see the dunk? I did. Oh, my God. I I was like, whoa, he actually – I wish it didn't tell me that it was going to be a dunk, but I guess you know like when he rises up and he just flies past him. Oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah, Santa Cruz's roster, Nico Mannion, the notable names, Jeremy Lin. Um, Zach Norvell, Juan Toscano Anderson. This sounds like half of their normal rotation. Um, Jordan Poole, Caleb Wesson. Um, but at 8.30 a.m., the real game that we're watching, the Austin Spurs with Robert Woodard. By the way, if you're not aware, Robert Woodard and Jamias Ramsey have been assigned to G League bubble teams, which I could not be more excited for, only because they clearly were not getting play um, for the Sacramento roster, which I would be even more excited for, specifically Woodard. Um, yeah, because I think, you know, he, he's more of a role player mold. Um, while Jemias Ramsey is just going to be the best player in the league one say, day. Um, I was just going to say, wow, did you hop off your Jemias Ramsey? No, 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 no. He's just, yeah, no, no, no. Jemias Ramsey's just eventually a 20 point per game guy, you know, and, and Woodard's more of like a 10 with really good defense, you know, like, um, but Woodard has been assigned to the Austin Spurs, um, which I'm going to try to get someone on here to kind of give a little bit of insight into some of these rosters and and kind of the G League situation going on. But the Austin Spurs, other notable names, um, Kyrie Thomas. There is, um, let's see, Quindary Weatherspoon. Kata Bates-Diop. Wow, I did not know that one. There we go. Um, Trey Jones. Trey Jones and Robert Woodard sounds like my favorite team ever, let me tell you. Um, oh, that's going to be great. I Yeah, so you're going to get defense from that roster. Um, I don't know. You know, I didn't see announcements for, like, starting um, starting lineups or anything like this, but I would imagine Woodard is getting a lot of play. Um, and it, it's sure interesting so. to me. Yeah, it, it's interesting to me kind of how this situation is, is handled, and obviously we're not really going to get too much insight to it with a lot of it being behind the scenes, but – you know, coaching really coming from a, a primarily a different staff, obviously. And I think it's it's interesting, like kind of the line of communication that's going to be going on behind the scenes for these guys. It's going to be really interesting to see because um, I imagine that both Robert Woodard and uh, Jemias Ramsey are going to have real opportunities to showcase their offensive talents. Um, I mean, there was an incredible uh, step back corner shot uh, I saw highlighted from the uh, uh, Spurs Twitter account a couple of days ago uh, from Robert Woodard, which looked really promising if he's got that shot in his bag. Saw a spin uh, move sh- from a post-up. Yeah. 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 Um, so this is going to be a real opportunity for the Kings second round guys to uh, prove that they really should be getting some 
uh, minutes right now. Um, and, uh, you know, the G League bubble is going to be a lot of fun for more than just the G League Ignite team. So yeah. uh, here's hoping the Kings youngsters can impress. Yeah, definitely. And then Jemias Ramsey is on the Agua Caliente Clippers um, alongside Kai Bowman, Jordan Ford, Daniel Oturu. Um, My old buddy Jordan Ford from oh, St. Yes. Mary's. Yes. And yeah. Jay Scrub. Oh, yeah. Are you telling me, like, this is – I get Jay Scrub and Jemias Ramsey and Trey Jones and Robert Woodard. I think they're actually perfect duos. Um, I love it. Um, and for people not aware of the of the second-round talent Sacramento has, um, you know, Woodard is more of a um, – I'd say Daquan Jeffries type player, right? You know, a 3-and-D, um, very versatile defender um, with probably more shot-making capabilities at – as a prospect um, than Jeffries, Woodard was a really promising three-point shooter and, and three and D prospect on low volume um, during his time at Mississippi State. And he's six eight and built like a truck. Yeah, he's a prototypical. Yeah. yeah. So. And then um, Jamias Ramsey is more of a um, spark plug who uh, just makes every single thing that he throws up. Um, yeah, I think uh, it's funny, you know, his Twitter is the new and improved JR, which is probably just a play on, you know, some old Twitter account he had or something. Um, but, like, I think JR Smith as a comp is not horrible. And, like, yeah. the, people, I think people, like, probably don't have a great impression of JR Smith, but, but JR Smith is a damn good NBA player. Yeah. Uh, if if the new JR can be anything close to the old JR, uh, Kings could really use a uh, spark plug off the bench. I mean, in yeah. a year or so, if these guys take what they the opportunities for minutes that they're getting in the G League right now, and uh, come into next year's training camp ready to go, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if either one of them's really taking key bench roles next year. Yeah, they're both extremely young. Uh, Woodard was only a sophomore; it was freshman season for Jamias Ramsey coming out of Texas Tech. He was 19 at the time of the draft. Um, I don't have exactly in front of me, but he was one of the five youngest guys drafted. Um, so, yeah, extremely young talent that I, I think, you know, can it can at very least be interesting to track. And uh, I, like you said, I, I genuinely think that both of these guys were great draft picks for where they were respectively picked. I think it was 40 and 43. Um, I had them 29 or 30 and 31 on my big board um, this year. So, yeah, I mean, definitely was one to praise. Uh, Monty McNair for what probably was his first um, decision in office with this draft and obviously Halliburton at the top of that. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm really excited to watch these guys, and I guess I'm waking up at 8 a.m. Um, I actually <laughs> probably have to wake up at 730. I'm definitely like a really groggy person in the morning, and it like takes a while for me to be aware, so aware and just alert. So if I woke up at eight and turned on the game, I would have no clue what happened. I'd need like Jalen Green to wake me up, which he probably would, to be fair. Well, I'm going to expect you to record all of your thoughts for us to read because there's no way that I'm going to be able to watch an 8 a.m. game <laughs> with my nine to five. Yeah, I'm I'm actually really torn because like I'm going to want to turn on this 831 and like turn away from the Ignite to ro- watch Robert Woodard, which is like yeah, I don't know. I'm probably psycho for that. Um, but yes, I'm really excited to watch the G League. I'm really excited to turn on Kings games every single time that they play night in and night out. Um, just to close again, so happy that Marvin Bagley's getting run at the five. Um, if he can do it against Joel Embiid, I don't see why he can't do it against who are we against next game? Gorgie Dang. Um, come on, 
come on, just keep this up for me. Um, limit Hassan Whiteside's minutes. Keep playing Bagley at the five. Fox is going to keep being absolutely ridiculous. Halliburton's going to get three or four or five deflections a game that you're like, I have no clue how this man does what he does. Um, yes, I, I'm, I'm feeling great after this game. I don't care that they lost. It was one of the best teams in the league. Sacramento's offense is legit. You know, I said it at the beginning of the season. This is the most zen I'd been going into a year because however the Kings performed, I thought of this as a developmental year. And uh, I'm still very zen because the Kings are fun. They're competing. And even if the uh, rug gets pulled out from us a little bit, I still trust that this team's going to give it on a night-out, night-out basis. And they're one of the most entertaining teams I've watched in a long time. Yeah. Definitely. Um, like I said, I was yelling at my TV for, for very good reasons tonight. I was flexing at the TV. Um, yeah, I, I could not help myself tonight. And, you know, the whole thing was um, I don't want the team to win a bunch of games if it's on the shoulders of the older guys. If it's because, yep. um, I was going to say because Corey Joseph and Glenn Robinson are playing, but that they wouldn't win games if those guys were playing a bunch of minutes, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but I was Sneaky like, you know, it's tank fine. Move. Yeah, right. It's fine if if the team is winning games because it's all because of Fox and Halliburton and Bagley, um, and it's exactly what's happening. Um, so I'm extremely happy with this stretch. Like you said, there's a zen to this season that's extremely enjoyable. Um, and yeah, if if anybody um, has anything they'd like us to touch on in future episodes of this Kings Pulse podcast, uh, you can message us on Twitter. Or um, there's a thread at the Reddit. Um, you can comment on the King's Herald posts and definitely check out all the other articles going on there, um, apparently predicting the future of um, lineup rotations. Um, and, yeah, we, we have uh, great content thrown up there all the time. Apparently Luke Walton and the King's front office just need to keep reading our work. I don't know exactly what to do. I'm going to write tonight that Jemias Ramsey deserves 40 minutes a night and I just speak it into existence. If this doesn't happen, I swear. Um, yeah, and, you know, there's, there's great content there all the time. Um, it's, it's a great group of guys, so definitely check that out. And if you enjoy, uh, definitely support the Patreon to support local independence Kings coverage. Um, and if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. And uh, stay tuned. you hear from us again in the next couple of days. Here.